feel like the Lord is saying that there is a day and a time when I made covenant with you and you made covenant with me. And I am a covenant to God. I don't go back on that. I don't change. I don't fail. And God is calling you back to that covenant. There's come a time in your life where you decided you were self-sufficient and able to take care of yourself. And that because of hurt and pain, that you were the only one that could do that. And the Lord is calling you back to repent and to break that chain that's been on your life. Lord, right now we just rebuke a lying spirit, Father, that would tell people they are enough for themselves, Lord, Father, that they are self-sufficient and well able to care for themselves, Lord, Father. And we just pray, Father, that you would lead our hearts back to you, Father, in the name of Jesus. I have a word for two people in here, and I don't know who you are, where you're sitting at. But the devil been trying to put discouragement on you. And the father said, do not give in to it. Because if you do, you're going to be in depression. If you're a co-laborer here and you feel like the Lord's given you a word for the congregation, we're going to ask you to come give it over the microphone quickly. I heard the Lord say, take the guard down off your heart, that he's running after you, and he's going to run after you no matter what, but that if you would take the guard down, it would make him um, changing your heart easier, and you'll be able to get to him faster, and he just said to let go, and just to, just to let him run after you, and that he's not going to stop running, and it's time for you to stop running away, because he's going to just continually pursue you until he gets to you. I heard him say that as you hide in me and as you feel safe with me, as you trust in me, people will feel safe with you. And the more people feel safe with you and others, the more that they'll see that this house is a place of refuge. My house is a place of refuge. It will be a refuge for all nations. I heard him say, go back to the thing that brings you joy when you worship and praise me. That joy and that glory is from me. I feel the Lord saying that there are, there are many here who are a remnant, who have stayed faithful to the Lord. You've kept your first love. But things have been hard and slow. But the Lord says there's a season shift. There's a shift in the winds coming. And the Lord says, look out for the shift of my winds, for there is a season of favor and promotion where I am doing and changing and answering the dreams and visions you have had for decades. But watch for the shift. Do not grow weary and discouraged and cynical about the shift that I am doing. For when it comes, it comes swiftly, and I urge you, stay in sync with your heavenly Father. All right. 
We got several great preachers tonight, so I encourage you to pay attention and show them respect and honor tonight. And um, <laughs> I guess we're not ready yet. Okay. Well, let me give the announcements. I can do that for a moment too. Oh, there you are. I can see you. Okay. <laughs> I'm used to seeing you right there. All right. If y'all make our first speaker feel welcome, Pastor John Staples as he comes and brings the word. Amen. Um, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, talking about the love of God today. And this is a deep, huge, big subject. And, um, you know, um, of course, as children, you know, we memorize the scripture, John three sixteen. Why are you grinning? Oh, okay. It's a multimedia event. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, where were you when I needed you, man? We learned a new song today, almost. And then we forgot, then we forgot it. Um, <laughs> so if you could just hit that video about the time I was struggling to remember that, that would have been great. <laughs> um, you know, as children, we, we memorized the scripture, um, John three sixteen. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son uh, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Um, you know, God so loved that he gave. Uh, Jesus said that, that by this, um, I'll give you that scripture if it goes better than my song remembering went. Uh, maybe not. Nope, I closed the window. Um, there it is. Uh, in John 13, 35, he said, By this you'll know, by all, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. It's not by um, you know, we, we we measure so many things, you know, that if we if you know, look, I believe in holiness, you know, I I, I believe you should have a, a line, a standard of behavior in your life, lines that you don't cross, things that you don't do. And, you know, all those things kind of help define you and, and identify you as Christian, but that's not what Jesus said. Right. Jesus didn't say, you know, they will know you by the, the, how much scripture you can quote or by, you know, how religious you seem or how often you go to church. They will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. And that love is not a feeling. It's not how you feel towards one another. It's how you treat one another. Right. And, uh, you know... I consider myself somebody that walks in love and um, until I don't get my cappuccino. And then, you know, if you ignore me, you know, I paid for my cappuccino. I, this happened to me. We were, we were getting ready to leave Florida. I stopped at, like, one of my favorite little places in Panama City as we were getting ready to leave. And, uh, you know, they brought my, my eggs Benedict, you know, and then I ordered a cappuccino. And I just threw my receipt away, you know, I just went on to the table because they always take good care of us there and it was, and she came to the, to the table and she said, you know, she said everything down, my cappuccino wasn't there. And I'm like, 
hey, I ordered a cappuccino. And she's like, have you got your receipt? And I'm like, no, I guess I, you know, I, I probably tossed it, you know. And she just said, okay. And then she walked back to the kitchen. And I saw her talk to the manager. And then still no cappuccino. And then you know, I mentioned it again. And, you know, by this time I'm, you know, the love of God is percolating in my heart <laughs> and about to overflow. I have a hard time accepting the fact that I'm this big a brat. I really do. I really do. I have a hard time. This is not how I see myself, but this is how I am. I hate it, but this is, this is the real me um, when I don't get my way. It, it hurts to know. And, and um, I assumed that she was back there talking to the manager, and the manager said, you know, it's not on the receipt. He didn't get one. And they didn't come back out and tell me. They just, and finally, I just kind of blew up on the waitress and said, you know, I'll pay for another. She's like, she said something about getting back in line. I was like, look, I'll pay for another cappuccino, but I've already paid for it. And, you know, if you don't want to, you know, and I just went off on her. And then the manager walks out, sir, if there's a problem, we'll take care of it. You know, we'll, we'll bring you three cappuccinos. It's just, you know. And I assume they were back there talking about me and nickel and diamond that, you know, that it was about the money or something. I don't know. And uh, by this time, everybody in, in the restaurants turned around looking at this display of Christianity, you know, especially, you know, my wife and a couple of my children sitting there going, calm down, Dad, calm down. And, uh, you know, I'm the nice one, right? <laughs> no, no. Um, unfortunately, the love of God uh, you know, that, that is how people know who we are. That's how we know. It's how we know where we are. Uh, it's, you know, I come to church and I sing these songs. I stand up here and I say these things to you. And so I must be this godly man. But the truth is, when someone is, you know, coming to work for less than minimum wage and giving her heart and her soul to make sure I got something to eat and make sure I'm pampered and spoiled and then I treat her like that. It says something about the condition of my heart. It doesn't say good things about it. It says bad things about it. Um, you know, 1 John 4, 7 uh, says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is, God, of, is love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. Um, that if love is not being displayed through your actions, you can say that you love him, but your actions are saying something different. Guess which? If there's a conflict between your words and your actions, guess which one is the reality? It's your actions. It's not what you're saying. It's not this positive confession that you. It is what you're walking out. And it's time to do reality check in the body of Christ because we've gone through a season of being divided over opinions and over, you know, different ways that we see things and interpret the world. And, and we live in a country and a world that is deeply divided right now. And if you're not careful, you'll pick sides. And, um, you know, there's this thing called bias confirmation. And this is where we all are. We all see the exact same news stories and we interpret them in two completely different ways. And, we, and everything we see confirms what we've already decided ahead of time. And we, we let these things divide us in the body of Christ. 
And I'm telling you, they got no business here. They got no place here. This is not what Jesus has called us to. He's called us to bigger and better and greater things. And that is to lay aside our differences and to treat one another with kindness. If you go to 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about what love is and describes it. It is patient. It is kind. You know, and we want to say love is truth. I'm going to tell you the truth. You know, I love you enough to tell you you're going to hell because you're a sinner. Well, you know, that is, let, me, let, me, let me qualify that. That is love. If you love someone enough to tell them the truth, that the wages of sin is death. You know, that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you love somebody, you'll tell them that truth. But you'll show them that you love them by your actions, by how you defer to them, how you treat them with honor, even when they're necessarily don't, don't deserve, they don't necessarily deserve honor. Um, God has called us to treat each other with kindness. Your mama was right when she told you to be nice. Being mean is not a fruit of the Spirit. It, you know, people get this gift of suspicion, and they're treating everybody, you know, like they're, you know, a criminal. That's not, that's not a fruit of the Spirit. God's called you to love people. Then that means that you treat them with kindness. Um, you know, look, protect your family. Um, don't let people tear, tear, you, tear your family down. Don't, don't let people, uh, you know, this, we had this come up. How much time I got left? Okay, I won't go into this one. But we, we did. We just had this situation come up in our, in our family where we were perceiving things in a certain way about someone else. And we were getting one side through our little biases, and we were hearing things, and suddenly we were like, man, they're talking down about us. Then they're putting us down. They don't like us. And next thing you know, we've got all this stuff bubbling up in here. You know one of the, th- the seven things that God said he hates in Proverbs? is someone who stirs up dissension among family, among brothers. Let me tell you, God hates that, but the devil loves it. Don't let yourself get caught up in a misunderstanding and let the devil divide you from somebody that God's called you to walk in covenant relationship. We are defined by the love of God, by whether we love each other. We don't love God. We don't love God. We just say we love God if we can't love one another and treat each other with kindness. Amen. Amen. All right. If you would make our next speaker. Praise God. Y'all welcome Pastor Joey Strong as he comes to bring the word, please. I don't know if I can follow that one or not, but I'm going to give it a try. Uh, when we were asked to talk about the love of God, you know, it is a vast, about the most vast subject you can think of. So, And I was thinking, now how am I going to be able to talk about the love of God after Pastor John Staples? Or after anybody, because I know that they're going to use John 3.16 and 1 John uh, four and all those, you know, how do you get around it? You can't get around it, okay? <laughs> While we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to demonstrate his love when we didn't deserve it. Amen? Amen. This is what I, I feel like God showed me to share tonight that you know, I, I was asking, what does the love of God mean to me? 
And this is what I came up with. I feel like the Lord put this in me. But I think there's a, I think the word love is the most probably misused word in all the English language and probably every language in the world. It's the most misused and misunderstood concept that there is. And I hear, I've heard people say before, I've even heard a lot of preachers stand up and preach, and I heard, you know, we all know the stories of uh, big preachers who stand up and preach and say things like, uh, all God is concerned about is for me to be happy. As long as I'm happy, God's happy. Yeah. You ever heard that before? A lot of people preaching that message these days. But, you know, God made it all about us so that we would make it all about him. A lot of people look at God's love as singular, like it don't matter what we do, God loves us as long as I'm happy, as long as I'm here to satisfy myself. That's human haughtiness and human pride getting in the way of what the real love of God is. Because like Pastor John said, you can't, uh, you can't love God without loving each other. But, you know, I want to read a scripture here. Let's see which one I want to get to here. First uh, John chapter 4. Let me see which one I want to start with here. Verse 19. This is something that we need to remember, okay? We love him because he first loved us, not because we loved him first, okay? We would not understand, have any concept of what love is if he didn't love us first. He loved us first, but he loved us with a purpose that it would be a reciprocal love, that our desire would become his, that his desire would become our desire and our delight would become him as he delights in us. Amen. That's good. This is the heart of God. And until that happens, until, I believe that we will not understand how to demonstrate, like Pastor John was saying, how to demonstrate that love to each other until we understand. You know, there, there, the Bible says that there, in fact, it's the very verse above this. There, is, there are two types of love. There's a perfect love and there's an imperfect love. This verse says perfect love does what? Perfect love is the love that comes from God and that reciprocates back to God. That's perfect love. Because only then do we understand how that God loves us and we love him back and we're able to love each other because of that love because he first loved us. He planted the seed in us. But we have the tendency to, you know, to be spoiled brats. I've known people in my life who uh, their father or maybe their grandfather worked hard all his life, made a fortune or made a, a legacy or made an a, a, a inheritance for his kids, and they take that and they squander it away and really not even grateful for what God has done for them. And, and they think, well, my parents loved me so much, they left me all these riches and all this wonderful life, and yet they squandered it away and really never pay attention to where it came from. All they were worried about, you know, like we are sometimes. We love God because he blesses us. We love his blessings more than we love him a lot of times. So I feel like God is saying to me, 
This is what I felt like Jesus was saying when he said, you have left your first love. You've forgotten about where this love started from. You've forgotten where the, where the seed that was planted in you came from. God is the one who put it there. We wouldn't understand him or love or anything if he had not loved us first. And so we, uh, we take his, his, uh, this love and we turn it around because, you know, I think the greatest sin is pride. Selfishness, in other words, is a better way to put it. We become so uh, worried about ourselves that puts us in fear because it, it, it and torments us because fear brings bondage, and we're in bondage to what we think life ought to be, or the way people ought to treat us, or the way we, uh, you know, the way we're uh, seen. We become insecure in all of those things. And if we're if we're really insecure, it's because we hadn't perfected love. You know what that word "perfect" is in in uh, in the in the Greek in that verse of scripture. It's the word "teleos," teleos love. That means that we have come to a mature place where we understand what love really is all about. It's a reciprocal thing. God gave it to us, and I say this a lot to people that. The reason I believe that, you know, God hates sin like he does is because of what it does to us. And, and this is my opinion. You can throw this in the trash if you want to. And, and if I'm in there, Pastor Beller can uh, straighten me out on this. But I, I honestly believe that, I don't know how I started getting off on this, but evil exists in my opinion, and I believe I believe that I can back this up to Scripture because God had to make an option of what he is in order for us to understand who he is and what love is all about. He had to allow evil to exist in this world because he loves us so much that there has to be, he, he desires a reciprocal love from us so much that there has to be something to demonstrate to us what that reciprocal love is. See, everything that God created hinges around this. The family, that's why the Bible talks so much about marriage and the family. It's a reciprocal thing. I've seen marriages that were so one-sided that it was awful. And they usually end up in divorce. There are a lot of people that call themselves Christians or are in, in a one-sided relationship with God. As long as God loves me, I'm all right. I don't necessarily have to love him back. That's not true. That, that is not what God's desire, and that is not his design for love. And until we understand the, 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 the how do you say, reciprocalness or whatever, reciprocity, until we understand that about God's love, we'll never, we'll never get past that. There'll be a barrier there that will... It, that will not in a, not allow us to love people like we should. That's why he put it as the first commandment and the greatest commandment. Love God first, and then we can love other people at least as much, if not more, than we love ourselves. And that's the key to it. But you can't do the one without the other. you got to have in order in order for that to work. Does that make sense? Yeah. Anybody got any time left? Yeah, one, one. one Okay. So... And, and that's, that's the way I feel like the Lord, I had a bunch of scriptures I was going to share, but, you know, Paul said it this way, 
This is where true evangelism comes from. He said, the love of Christ constrains me. Not because God loved me, but I'm not because I say I love God, but because he loved me. God loved me. His love constrains me. The love that he has for me and the love that that causes me to have back to him constrains me to do what I do. It controls my whole life, the love of God. That's how powerful yeah. it really is. Yeah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Stephen. That was great. All right, these are all faithful men of God, and I want you encourage you to make Pastor Richard Knapp feel welcome as he comes. To Amen. Lord God, I, I thank you for this time. I confess I need your grace and your help. And I invite the atmosphere of heaven to come down in this place and for everyone here to have an encounter with the love of God. Hallelujah. If you would open to Psalm 36, 7. And put a mark there because we're going to come back to it. Psalm 36, verse 7. I'm reading from the Passion Version. Oh God, how extravagant is your cherishing love. All mankind can find a hiding place under the shadow of your wings. We're going to focus on the first half of this verse now and the second half later. The message says, how exquisite your love, O oh God. The New King James says, how precious is your love, O oh God. And the Holmes Christian Standard says, God, your faithful love is so valuable. Now, if you haven't ever had an encounter with God's love, you need one. But most of you probably have. You've had a time when God came down and you had this amazing understanding that he loved you. And if, when you have that, it'll wreck you for a while. However, because his love is so intense and so wonderful and so complete that we can't really even describe it. You can't really put God's love into decent words. You, you always do it in injustice. But the trouble is, over time, we forget just how amazing God's love is. All right? So what difference does it make if I have an understanding, a fresh understanding of the depth of God's love for me? Is it just a cool experience, or is it more? Well, I obviously believe it's much more. So I'm going to give you some differences that I think it makes. If I know the Father's love for me, and I come to understand that he's good. If you really encounter God's love, you know intuitively that he's good. Then it will change me over time if I allow the way I think to match the knowledge that I have of his love. I have to allow it to change my thinking. So first of all, I'll become secure in my identity as his child. His love isn't something I earn by my good behavior or lose by my bad behavior. It doesn't depend on how worthy or unworthy I feel. In his eyes, I'm always worthy because he looks at me through the blood of Jesus. Now, I would like you to repeat this phrase after me and get used to this. We're going to do this some more. This is audience participation. Say, I am no orphan. I have a father. Amen. I have a Father who loves me. Amen. Number two, I'll come to love Him. 
We respond to his love and the great things he's done for us by loving him back. And Pastor Joy has just preached a whole message on that. So I'm not going to elaborate, except I'd like you to repeat after me. I am no orphan. I have a father who loves me. And I love him. Amen. Number three, Pastor John Staples, I will come to love others. And uh, the, the verse is 1 John 4, 7, and 8, which we've already heard. I'll read it from the Passion Version, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Those who are loved by God, let his love continually pour from you to one another because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. So if you've ever received God's love into your life through Jesus, you will love others. It's a part of your new heart. It's the Father's spiritual DNA has come inside you. And we, when we are born again, and he gives us a love for other people. You have to sort of learn to fight it and put it down to not love other people if you're born again. Amen. So I am no orphan. I have a family who loves me. And I love them. I have a home. Hallelujah. And we're going to review this. Number one, I'm secure in my identity as his child. Number two, I have come to love him. Number three, I've come to love others. I am no orphan. I have a father who loves me. And I love him. I have a family who loves me. And I love them. I have a home. Amen. Number four, when bad things happen to me, I'll know, because I know how passionately God loves me, that it came from the enemy and that God wants to help me. But if I don't really understand God's love, if I haven't had any recent encounters with it, very likely I'll think God is mad at me and God caused it. And if I think that way, because the devil will attack you to think that way, then I have no faith and confidence to ask him and receive help from him. You can't do it. After all, if he caused it, man, he's God. What hope do you have? You know, That's the way the devil paints the picture. Uh, but if I'm secure in his love, I can pray and trust him to help me and ask him, Daddy, help! And he will, and he usually does it quickly. Psalm 59, verse 10 from the Passion Version, the God of passionate love will meet with me. My God will empower me to rise in triumph over my foes. It's the devil that comes against you to do those things. God will cause you to triumph. Repeat after me. I am no victim. I am an overcomer. Amen. Number five, last one. If I know the love of God for me, I will learn to walk out of fear. Why should I fear if I'm loved by the creator of the universe and I'm walking with him? Psalm 36, verse 7, from the Passion Version, 36, 7. Oh God, how extravagant is your cherishing love. All mankind can find a hiding place under the shadow of your wings. We sang that. I am safe. Hide me, Lord. Hide me under the shelter of your wings. Hallelujah. Now, walking out of fear is not an automatic thing, all right? You have to change the way you think by learning the word and reminding yourself of God's promises of protection. It's something you got to work at. 
I urge you to read and reread Psalm 91, other Psalms as well, and memorize at least some of those verses and learn to say them immediately when fear comes to your door. Fear will come to your door. How you respond determines whether you have victory or whether you don't have victory. Amen. I call it digging the well of protection from danger. I am no victim. I am more than a conqueror. We're going to go back through those just real quick. I am no orphan. I have a father who loves me. And I love him. I am no orphan. I have a family who loves me. And I love them. I have a home. I am no victim. I am an overcomer. I am more than a conqueror. So I'm going to invite you, all of you, especially if you haven't really experienced God's love like that or if it's been a long time, I invite you to ask him to reveal his love to you. And if you will, we're going to do that right now. So if you're willing to, close your eyes, please, and repeat after me. We're just going to ask the Lord a simple question, and then we'll take just a moment for him to respond. Say out loud, Father God. What do you think about me? Thank you, Pastor Richard. All right, if you make our next speaker feel welcome, Pastor Dexter Rivers, as he comes. Where are you? There you are. I'm not going to bother reading my scripture. It is John 316, because Pastor John stayed already on read it. Appreciate it, Pastor John, for you making my job easy. Thank you. I will read the first part of it, though. For God loved the world, he gave his own, he sent, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Now, I'm going to go a different direction with that. What I, what I got was, what God showed me was, do you really know what that means? Do you, really, do you realize that God gave a part of himself because he loved us that much? That's what he gave to us. And, and I got to thinking about it, and I thought about it. I was like, could I have a son and give my son away to a nation? In this nation, I know when I send my son over there that he's going to live, but he's going to die at the age 33. I know this for a fact. If I knew that, could I give my son, could God told me that, could I give my son to that nation for everybody 
to change and be saved over there and have a chance to commune with you in heaven. Could you do that? Could I do that? That's how much we're supposed to love people, that we would give a part of ourselves away. And that really convicted me because I don't even think I'm there yet to give a part of myself away to somebody, to love somebody that much. And that's what God did. I'm still working to get there. We're probably all working to get there. I mean, that's tough to say, I'm just going to give them up to you. You know, I'm just going to let this happen. Well, you know this going to happen. Because we always taught to do what? To protect our kids. I mean, that would be a real conflict, wouldn't it? I know it will be for me. And that's what I and that's what I got out of got out of the whole thing when 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 uh I got the message about that and I said, Oh, I wonder what I'm gonna talk about. And when I and when I was messing around, I was I was in um doing jiu-jitsu with my friend Charles and we rode for about forty minutes and I was messing with him that night before I got the tips from Pastor Susan. And I was talking and I was messing with him because we were rolling in the middle of the road, I was saying everybody need to be loved. And I was messing with him. I was, I was submitting. I was trying to submit them, make them forget that I was going, what I was submitting. You know? <laughs> and I, and then when I got the message, I'm like, and that's funny. But for real though, that's how we're supposed to love people, and that's the love we got to get to. Well, well, we're willing to give a part of ourselves to somebody, no matter if it's gonna cost you your life, no matter if it's gonna cost you your time, and it might cost you your job, it might cost you money, and I know you probably don't want to hear that. But that's the truth. It's going to cost you. And you know, and that's what God gave me. That's all I got. All right. Hallelujah. Okay, last but not least, would you welcome our pastor, Pastor Mac Ballard, as he comes. Mike. Before I get up, we got a special guest speaker, uh, a worship leader, international worship leader, uh, Corey Asbury. And he's going to speak to us first about love, his concept of love. I want to read this scripture to us. It's out of Luke 15. Sometimes people get confused by it, but I feel like the Lord's all over it tonight. I want to read it to us. Says now the tax collectors and sinners are all gathering around to hear Jesus. The Pharisees and teachers of the law mutter, this man welcomes the sinners and eats with them. The religious people are mad. It sets the stage and Jesus pipes up. He told them this parable. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country? and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And after he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. He calls his friends, he calls his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. And I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't. <laughs> Man, he's that good. I want to just read a couple thoughts, just share a little bit of the story behind this song, and then we'll sing that bridge one more time, and we'll go nuts. We'll see what happens. 
So when I use the, re the phrase, the reckless love of God, when we say it, we're not saying that God himself is reckless. He's not crazy. We are, however, saying that the way he loves is in many regards quite so. But what I mean is this. He's utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his actions with regard to his own safety, comfort, and well-being. His love isn't crafty or slick. It's not cunning or shrewd. In fact, all things considered, it's quite childlike. And might I even suggest sometimes downright ridiculous. His love bankrupted heaven for you, for me. His love doesn't consider himself first. It isn't selfish or self-serving. He doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself on the line. He simply puts himself out there on the off chance that you and I might look back at him and give him that love in return. His love leaves the 99 to find the one every time. And to many practical adults, that's a foolish concept. But what if he loses the 99 and finding the one, right? What if? Finding that one lost sheep is and will always be supremely important. His love isn't cautious. It's a love that sent his own son to die a gruesome death on a cross. There's no plan B with the love of God. He gives his heart so completely, so preposterously, that if refused, we would think it irreparably broken. Yet he gives himself away again and again and again and again, time and time again. Make no mistake, our sins do pain his heart, and 70 times seven is a lot of times to get your heart broken. And yet he opens up and allows us back in every single time. His love saw you when you hated him, and all logic said they'll reject me. He said, no, I don't care what it costs me. I lay my life on the line as long as I get their hearts. To make it personal, his love saw me, broken down kid with regret as deep as the ocean. My innocence and youth poured out like water. And he found me and he put me on his shoulders. And he carried me on. Because he's just that good, he's just that kind. He's a father that never gives up. So as we sing this bridge and chorus one more time, just let it, let it break down those walls tonight. There's no shadow. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's intense, isn't it? About 8,000 people there, and it's just intense as it can be. Praise the Lord. Um, I want to kind of go a different way about love. Uh, it, it, we, we know we've been talking about agape or agape in the different forms uh, of, of, of God's love. Um, some people call it unconditional love. Um, he is unconditionally that he loves you and he wants you in heaven. Uh, no doubt about that. No doubt about that. Um, but the way he deals with people that are his people, listen to me, you can't put him in a box. He is unconditional in his love and it's a mystery to me. I've never heard anybody preach this. I've been wanting to dump this on y'all. I'm going to give it to you real quickly. There's a lot more to it. But I want to talk about the love of God, a great mystery. And uh, you can turn into Genesis 5. 
Genesis chapter 5, and I'm going I'm to stay in Genesis 5, 6, and 9, then I'm going to jump to 2 Kings. So it's going to be pretty quick. I, want, I don't want to keep y'all. I know y'all want to go watch the football game. Um, well, some, some people do. Some people like that. And I want to I wanna honor that because with the Holy Ghost has moved tonight, big time. At my house, it's been moving all day. It's been glorious all day at my house. So I'm, I'm good and tired. Because <laughs> I've, been, I've been getting, me and the dog's been dancing all day. We've been having a good time. So. Amen. So Genesis 5.22, it says, After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. Verse 24. Enoch walked with God and he was not... For God took him. And I've heard people, well, Enoch was so full of God and, and God loved him more than anybody else. That's just not true. I'm sorry to bust your bubble. That is charismatic hoopla. Because I can prove it to you. God loves you just as much as Enoch. Do you hear me? He might choose to take you without you tasting physical death. Most likely he won't. Death is not what we think it is anyway. Death, biblically, is eternal separation from God. That's why Jesus said he's asleep. He's not eternally separated from God. But it wasn't because Enoch hung around God all the time that he took him. I've heard it preached like that. I'm sorry. You've been deceived. God loves you just as much. What is agape love? See, you've been taught a performance culture. And you've been trying to perform your way to the highest place with God so you might not taste death. That is a lie. It's a lie. Because the very essence of the Greek word agape, that means there's no conditions that you can do to earn your way to a, a greater resurrection. That You know, now I know it talks about martyr, martyrs have a greater resurrection, but that's dying. That ain't living, baby. That's walking off the plane. And walking off the United Arab, Arab Emirates plane and going, Jesus is Lord. Allah's a demon. That'll get you right into heaven, baby. Just like that. You want to be a martyr? That's how you, that's how you can do it. Do you understand? The Bible says that martyrs are going to have a great resurrection, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But I'm talking about earning the place you can't earn a place in agape. Amen. Jesus died on the cross. If you accept Jesus Christ, you are what you are. And let me tell you this. God will pour his agape out on sinners to try to draw them to himself. Yeah. Let me tell you something. There's a guy in Acts named Cornelius. The Bible says that he was so good to people before he was saved. He was so good to people that he built a memorial in heaven that came up before God and God recognized it and sent people to him 
to reveal the agape of God. And he got saved. Dude, he wasn't walking with God. And he had a memorial in heaven before most Christians. You know, it's crazy. The way we think, we still think performance, performance, performance. No, performance and holiness is a different thing. Holiness is a personal lifestyle that you don't laud in front of everybody. It's what you do in secret. It's who you really are. Somebody said, let my dog, let me be what my dog thinks I am. Amen? So it said, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He just took him out. He loved him. He walked with him. He didn't taste death. Boom, he went out of here. And it wasn't right after a big failure that it happened. Y'all remember what I just said. It wasn't after a big failure that God took him home without him tasting death. Have I proved it to you already? I thought I would. Genesis 6, 9, listen to this. If, if it, it would have to be consistent if the premise was true that he earned his way to not taste death because he walked with God so close. God loved him so much more than everybody else. God recognized his genius in Christianity. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Same three Hebrew words. Exactly. Genesis 9.28. Let's bust up your junk. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. He did what God said, perfect, better than anybody's ever done it. Look at verse 29, though. Boy, it just blasted. So all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. He did what Enoch did. It's good or better. And he what? Why didn't God translate him? He didn't taste death. Because it's not performance. It's God's agape, unconditional love. It's favor at the highest level because they're redeemed. You're redeemed. Now, people say, well, what about wood, hay, and stubble? What about gold, silver, and precious stones? Yeah, you're going to have it to lay at Jesus' feet. That's still not what people have preached this to be, folks, my whole life. Go to 2 Kings and let's prove it again. 2 Kings, beginning of verse 9. I want to prove it again. 2 Kings um, chapter, chapter 2, I'm sorry. 2 Kings, chap 2 Kings chapter 2. I'm trying to get through it quick. Starting at verse 9. I'm going to prove it to you again. You ready? And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you? Before I am taken away from you, Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, 
it shall be so for you, but if not, it shall not be so. And we know that Elijah got double the anointing that Elijah did in his life, and the last miracle that was done was on Elisha's bones. Remember? They threw a dead man in on his grave, and they were trying to hide from being pursued by the enemy, and the bones of Elisha were so anointed, the man jumped back to life. And that doubled, that doubled the miracles that Elijah did. In his death, he doubled the miracles. So God gave it to him. We know that. Okay, let's look at this. Look at, look at Elijah. Verse 11. Then it happened. Say everybody, everybody say it. It happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, semicolon, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. He did not die, and this was right after his greatest failure. Oh, he ran from Jezebel. He was hid in a cave. God had to talk him up to get him out of the cave. He had his greatest victory on Mount Carmel, and right after your greatest victory, you can have your greatest failure. He was Jezebeled. And he ran from an ungodly queen and didn't stand up to her, and God had to replace him with a couple of guys, and it took several to displace her, including Jehu. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. I like the way Elijah went home better than I do Enoch. Man, I bet the speakers on that thing was. Dude, a chariot of fire scoops him up. It don't burn him. God loves him so much. He loves him so much. He loves him as much as he did Enoch. He loved him. Well, the way we think, he loved him better than he did Noah. And Noah just didn't have a failure. Come on, Richard. That's good stuff right here. No. Unconditional love is unconditional love. And John so eloquently put it, how it comes to you, and then we steward it back and around to different people. He went out of here in a fanfare that nobody else has ever went out of here in. All the company of prophets probably saw it. I mean, I don't know if there was horses on fire. I don't understand. I don't know what the, I don't know what. But then there's a whirlwind pushing this thing. A tornado. And he's riding this thing. And his mantle drops to the ground. So in a few chapters, Elisha's went from doing everything in the flesh to being a man that walks in the spirit. Elisha wasn't perfect either. But God takes Elijah out without him tasting death. He gives his mantle with a double anointing on it to a man that wasn't that proven. I carry you back to the guy that had 8,000 demons in him they call Legion. Did he love Legion more? Or less? I mean, Legion had been demon-possessed his whole life, ran around naked in front of everybody. 
This performance thing, it's got to go. Holiness is to God, but it ain't performance. And we've got to understand that unconditional love, God means it. It is unconditional love. And he took Enoch home because he loved him. He didn't take Noah home who had done as much as Enoch because he loved him. He did it a different way. Moses, David, you know, and then he takes a guy who ran from his enemy, God's enemy. You, you know, it's different between our enemies and God's enemies. You understand that, biblically. The Bible says love your enemies. Don't say nothing about loving God's enemies. Do, do you understand that? Do you understand about retaining and remitting? You retain the enemies of God's sin to protect the flock. You remit your enemies if they're not messing with the flock. You pastors know what I'm saying now. I done got off in leadership stuff. But I can't help it. To recognize and to understand I mean, all these guys that spoke, including Corey, they're coming to a place of what love really is. Now, if we love God, we'll keep his commandments. That's what he says. Jesus says, if you're my sheep, you'll follow me. If you love me, you'll follow me. Yeah, sure. But he has the uncanny, unbelievable ability to love us even when we're flawed. I didn't say commit in his face sin. I didn't say that. But flawed and growing, and he's waiting on us. He's drawing us to grow so we get rid of the flaws. He has the uncanny ability. He had the uncanny ability, if, if God is a performance God, to give a man who just had his greatest defeat with a Jezebel the same entrance into heaven he gave a man that walked with him perfectly. <laughs> you explain that to me. If it's not unconditional when you're trying hard and you make some mistakes, then he couldn't have done that. The difference between those that try hard and those that don't try hard and make mistakes on purpose is a vast difference in God's face. Do we understand that when he says it's unconditional love to his people, he means it. He wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. But when you make mistakes and you fall down, he'll pick you back up. You just can't do it on purpose every day. That's a whole different thing. Or I'm missing it big time when it's right here in the Word of God. I've never heard anybody preach that. They always preached that Enoch was so holy, and he was, that God took him home based on his performance. No, it was based on God's unconditional love. Well, Elijah just had a, a great failure. He ran from God's enemies. He was supposed to fight with them. He had the, all the juice to do it. 
Well, God loved him so much, he understood he was tired, beat down. He'd been in war for weeks. He had fought with the prophets. He knew, and he said, you know what? He's a good boy. He just got in fear, you know? I got a friend that preached this. He said, after I got saved and I had my first love, he said, I had so much faith and power in me. I believed everything I read. I had to go to a dead church to get taught doubt and unbelief. The church teaches against the Bible. They teach doubt and unbelief. And he said it took him years to recover from that unbiblical teaching. Just as unbiblical is the performance thing that you put on yourself. It's not a performance with God. It's a relationship with God. And that's where love and performance separates. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is magnificent. And we love you. And we, we have no doubt that we have to walk holy before you. We have no doubt that we have to try hard to not, not offend your holy word. We have no doubt that your sheep know your voice and they follow you and they love you and they do what you say. We have no doubt about all that. But we also have no doubt that your love for your people is unconditional and you will go to great lengths to draw them and to, and to pull them and to hold them up. Even some of these ungodly politicians. In Jesus' name, amen.